Hello. And welcome to the Stop Talking Shit podcast. Episode seven. Is it seven? Yeah, episode seven. Episode seven. Sorry, we have taken a big break and we just want you guys to know that we still love you and we thank you for your patience while we have been navigating the mountains of life. New terrains. <coughs> yeah. Mm. Mm. So where have you been, been up to? Where have you been, man? You always live the interesting life and I'm just here. <laughs> I'm just here. Uh, oh, you know, com- combination of getting sick and a little bit of travel as well. Went to Canberra and Sydney for a little bit. Um, and, yeah, just lots of um, personal life things mm. just to, to sort out and get in order. Look, I know we sound perfect, guys, but we, we both have We both have our dramas. Like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes we really want to record and then we just it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, we got kids, we got families, we got husbands. I ain't got no kids, but yeah, the 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 rest <laughs> and husbands need, you know, it's like having an extra child there, so they need their attention too. So yeah, look, yeah, sometimes it all becomes quite a bit. And you're um studying now, Miriam. Keep it real. Back at uni. Yeah, well, another another stressful thing. Yes, I'm doing my masters in public health, which I'm super super excited about. Good stuff. Yeah, so I would love to like share all the um, gems that I learned, all the snippets. Yeah, yeah, you know, trying to juggle that amongst uh, other things. Always kind of keep learning though, and yeah, the process of life. Yeah. Love so it. what what are we talking about today? Well, to t- today is all about dairy, all mm. about them cows, sis. Mm. Not the ones in your DMs either. <laughs> Miriam grew up in a farm, so she's very much accustomed to the the smell of poop. Cows are basically a part of her innermost network. That is that is true. (laughs) What are my favorite words? What's one of my favorite words? Miriam (laughs) Heifer. That is your favorite word. (laughs) You actually use that a lot. I do. I love it. I heard it off Steve Harvey a few years ago, and I'm like, oh, that is it. that is my favorite word now. Heifer is a female cow, in case y'all don't know. And I'll be mm. like, oh, my God, look at that heifer. My husband will be like, she's not a heifer. She's tiny. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's just about using the word. It's a descriptive word. <laughs> you can have a big personality and not be big, you know. I don't actually say look at that heifer, guys, but, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's <laughs> yeah. more reserved for family <laughs> and close friends that I use that term for. It's a term of endearment, okay? I just love to use it. So oh, carrying on for the heifers. Uh, why do people hate cows? Why why did why does dairy get such a bad rap? Namely milk. Look, I think it's it's in that same kind of family, that the same box as gluten and soy and Mm-mm. you know, one of those things that, you know, a small select of people have issues with it. Poor cows. And then they want to push their agendas onto everyone else, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. And I think yeah, I think that's very much the case why dairy's gotten such a bad rap because, again, it's added to that list of mm-hmm. you need to cut this out if you have X. You Those know, heifers, this how is, dare they? This is going to cause X, Y, Z. <laughs> Um, so, but you know, let's, let's, let's break down some of those myths. 
Yeah. Let's get straight into the milky stuff. Yeah. What was the most popular one? Which is the one that um, I know that we heard a, a lot. lot of people are concerned That's about cool. hormones in milk. Mm. Hormones and pus. Hormones and pus. Yeah, Ooh. man. Let's get down to the pus C business. So Let's hormones. do it, do it, do it Right now, milk it good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're very excitable today. <laughs> well, if we, we've got to make ourselves laugh because I swear to God. It's a sad world out there. It is. All right, yep, let's get All into right. it, Miriam. Hormones, hormones uh, get a bad rap for being in milk. Now, it is true for some part. It that is. It is. Yeah. It is true for the most part that before pre-2008, um, cows were treated with artificial estrogen. And, of course, we are talking about in, in Australia. I'll try and keep it relevant. So in the dairy industry, uh, artificial estrogen was uh, given to cows and could have been possibly present in milk. Um, since 2008, that practice has been banned, and so we no longer have that issue. So y'all don't have to worry about that issue anymore. So hormones such as estrogen, progesterone, prostaglandin, and cortisone can be found in really low doses or really concentrations in milk. Um, they're naturally occurring uh, or produced by the cow. But when you drink milk, these hormones are digested by enzymes in the gut and as a result, broken down and not absorbed in their active form. <clears throat> so I don't want to hear anybody talking about, but there's hormones in milk anymore. Myth busted. Moving on. Let's talk about that pus. <laughs> Let's get to the pus of it. <laughs> <laughs> We're really just, you know, taking the piss here. Um, so... The claim that milk contains pus is actually a misunderstanding. What is actually what they're actually referring to is somatic cells. Now you might be thinking, hey "Man, what the hell are somatic cells?" That sounds super intelligent. It's not. Um, they're <laughs> mostly white blood cells that are present in milk, and they're there to combat infection, especially uh, in um, cows, to prevent udder infection because those types of infections are very common in cows. It's basically their immune system doing its thing, right? And regulatory bodery bodies, regulatory bodies like the FDA, if we're looking at America, have established limits on somatic cell counts in milk, and that's to make sure that you know they're safe to consume and that they remain of a high quality. And if we look at Australia, our regulatory system around foods and dairy is actually a lot more strict. So. You can definitely bet that you're safe drinking milk in Australia. And a lot of um, can milk I finish? Gets tested. Oh, sorry. Yeah, is finished. that okay? okay. Yeah, wait. Hold that thought. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, as I was saying, the presence of the somatic cells doesn't actually equate to a concerning amount um, of, if we're going to call it pus, and it does, doesn't actually pose a health risk to consumers. And if it did, we would definitely know about it with the rates of consumption of milk in Australia. But what were you saying, Miriam? Though, sorry, I'll cut oh, you off. Oh, well, look. Um, each batch of milk is tested before it goes out to the consumers. So the myth that there's antibiotics um, found in milk, for example, which is one of the one of the main myths as well, is that well, I get organic milk because there's no antibiotics in there. If antibiotics are only used if a, if a cow is sick, right? So it gets sick, they give them a course of antibiotics. That cow is separated from the rest of the herd. And their milk is um, actually, um, well, they have to continually to get milked, but it doesn't go into the same um, 
place where all the rest of the milk goes. It goes to a completely, it gets drained out actually. It just literally just gets drained out and down the drain. Um, mm-hmm. So that, so then um, once that happens, the milk is tested just to be sure if when that cow comes back mm. into, you know, the normal circle of, you know, milking, <laughs> they test that milk again to make sure that there's no trace of antibiotics in the milk itself. So um, there is no such thing as antibiotics in milk. Let's just get that clear. Thanks for clearing that one up. Mm. So now that we've explored some myths relevant to compounds that exist in milk. Moving um, on. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Um, We are going to move on to break down some health claims around Mm. dairy in general. And we're going to break down that like the family of dairy. So when we we've spent a bit of time talking about milk, but we know that dairy is not just milk. We also know that dairy is a family of different products. We're looking at milk, we're looking at butter, cheese, yogurt, ice cream, fermented dairy, etc. And research actually often differentiates different types of dairy when we're looking at different types of health claims and Different types of dairy actually might have slightly different nutrient profiles and perform differently as far as our health outcomes go. So we'll we'll break that down a little bit more and talk about some of the claims that are relevant to health. And maybe we can start with the perception or the misconception that dairy produces mucus. Mm. And I say perception slash misconception because for some people, it does. Yeah, I think they do see that that direct sort of outcome and response. And this is where me and Miriam like to obviously talk about everything with a little bit of nuance. We know that there's not a lot of research on everything and there are circumstances where people might react a certain way, but we don't have data to show that it it, it um, creates those types of symptoms. But I know clinically I've seen some clients definitely um, get a lot more phlegmy after having dairy. And I went through a phase in my life where I was getting really phlegmy after having dairy. Mm. Um, now that happens to me when I have chili. Um, but it's just interesting how, yeah, people obviously react differently. but not directly linked. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, you know, that's not to say, you know, if you're concerned, you could always – you know, take a short-term elimination mm. and then reintroduce and see if that's actually the case for you. But, you know, as far as the scientific studies, there hasn't really been any associated kind of um, connection between the two. So I'm going to go ahead and get started breaking down some of the claims that are relative to women's health, starting with acne. Now, if you're a listener with acne, I bet you've heard time and time again that, hey, you should cut out dairy. Um, or if you've got PCOS or even if you've got endo, you've probably been told or seen some post online saying that dairy is bad for you. Let's talk about it. So when we're talking about acne you know, we actually see in the research a differentiation between, again, those different types of dairy and how they might impact someone's health. Now, we actually see more so of a potential connection between cow's milk consumption and acne as opposed to other forms of dairy. But again, the research isn't super robust, um, but there has potentially been an association between cow's milk, and that's including whole whole um, whole fat, low fat, and including skin uh, skim milk. So, in one study, women who drank two or more glasses of skim milk per day were forty four percent more likely to have acne than other women in this same study. And there's lots of different studies that have been done in different countries. There's been some done in the USA, in teenagers, um, studies in Italy, in young adults, Malaysia. 
and again, differing sort of results, but there is some theories about why this might be the case. And Miriam's going to break down this inflammatory claim a little bit more, but there is a theory that some of the uh, proteins in milk can cause inflammation for some people and that has an impact on your pores which can lead to acne but we again the research isn't robust so if you feel like there is a connection or a relationship you could always do a short-term elimination and this would be guided by the support of a relevant health professional and why do we say that we always say that That's because depending on the life stage that you're at and what your needs are for your individual health, taking dairy out means that you do need to make sure that you meet certain nutrient requirements from other food sources. Now, while I'm here, I could easily debunk the claim that, no, you don't necessarily need dairy to be healthy. Dairy is not a must-have food group to meet your nutritional requirements. But we do know that people in certain age groups and age brackets will benefit from dairy more so than others, and we can see that there's benefits in certain life stages for particular groups. So when we're looking at children and adolescents, we know that they're in a uh, a growth phase, and so the nutrients that are found in things like milk and dairy – specifically milk, which we do have good research on within that age group for bone growth and development. Um, we know that the, dem- the demands for calcium and vitamin D and also protein are quite high. So we know that during this particular life stage, again, if we are going to be taking out dairy for whatever reason, we need to make sure that we're meeting those nutrient requirements from other foods. And that's quite similar if we're also looking at older populations or those that are elderly and we're looking at risk of osteoporosis. Again, if we are taking out dairy, um, how are we going to meet those nutrient requirements um, specifically for those nutrients? Again, your vitamin D, your zinc, um, your calcium and your protein. And that's not so hard, uh, as hard as people think it is. And, you know, there's a lot of great food sources, whether we're looking at soy-based foods, we're looking at um, tofu, tempeh, green leafy vegetables, almonds with the skin on, nuts, seeds, oily fish, particularly those uh, with their bones like sardines. You're also looking at things like mushroom, eggs, and fortified milks, because these are also good sources of vitamin D, and they often are enriched with additional vitamin D, as well as um, calcium and protein, especially if we're looking at things like your tofu and your enriched eggs. So yes, there are alternatives. No, you don't need dairy to be quote-unquote healthy, but yes, are there benefits to consuming dairy, and are there nutrients which are easily achievable to consume through dairy. Yes, there is. But moving on, because I digressed significantly there, but I hope you found that information beneficial. There is actually a meta-analysis from 2017 that looked at a massive, massive sum of studies. Um, well, actually, no, not a massive sum of studies. There was 14 studies, but there was 78,529 participants. So big sum of observational studies. Now, we know that with nutrition, it's hard to synthesize uh, randomized control trials. So we do 
often turn to things like observational studies just to give us more information and to inform some of our understanding about particular associations between diet and health outcomes. So this particular one was looking at the association between acne and different types of dairy. So any dairy, full fat dairy, any milk, whole milk, low fat or skim milk, cheese and yogurt compared to no dairy at all. Super interesting. And they actually found um, in total looking at these observational studies that any type of dairy such as meat, milk, yogurt or cheese were associated with an increased risk or um symptoms of acne in individuals aged between the ages of 7 and 30. However, this meta-analysis, uh, there were some uh, they did identify that there was some bias across some of these studies. You can imagine with observational studies and self-reporting um, that it's not always super accurate and there were some other concerns with the quality and data in some of these studies. So ultimately, it really does come down to individual circumstances and preferences and I know this would be the case for Miriam, but definitely for myself, this is something that I do explore with my clients in clinical practice because each person is so different. And again, if we are going to be taking things out of our diet, it is important that we do so under the guidance of a health professional. We actually have better data to show that a lower glycemic diet is better for acne. So this includes high glycemic foods are things like your white bread, your cornflakes, your puffed rice, potato chips, White potatoes, fries, donuts, pastry, sugary drinks, milkshakes, white rice, basically all the refined stuff. Um, so we do have some findings from small studies showing that following a low glycemic diet actually can be supportive for acne and replacing those foods with low glycemic foods um, such as fresh vegetables, whole grains, um, nuts and seeds, fruits, etc. As we know that spikes in blood sugar levels can have an impact on sebum production, which is the oil in your skin, which when we have too much can contribute or excess sebum can contribute to acne. So this is not an acne episode, but I just wanted to share that piece of wisdom with you guys. The relationship between dairy and acne becomes relevant in the conversation about PCOS because acne is quite common in PCOS. But in saying that, we still don't have any robust evidence to show that dairy is harmful in PCOS. And if anything, we probably have data showing the opposite due to the nutrient profile, such as the calcium, the vitamin D, the probiotics actually posing a benefit in conditions like PCOS. The reason that is, is we do actually have some data to show that certain types of dairy can be protective against insulin resistance, which is a huge driving factor in PCOS. You might find that you respond better to alternative types of dairy if you're someone that has PCOS. So potentially you're looking at sheep's or goat's dairy as opposed to cows. So sometimes some people do find that there is a difference. It all comes down to personal preference and what works best for you at the end of the day because um, many women experience different symptoms across the board with conditions like PCOS. This conversation also follows a similar trajectory when we're looking at conditions like endometriosis because in endometriosis, things like lactose intolerance are really common. So there's a lot of women that cannot tolerate lactose with endometriosis and hence will opt out for dairy. But again, there's no really concrete hard evidence showing that 
as a as a blanket sort of statement that dairy is harmful for endometriosis and there is no strong evidence again around that um, theory around inflammation but Miriam's going to be covering that a little bit more in her segment very soon am I correct is that right Wonderful, wonderful. So I'm going to stop rambling very soon. Um, But in terms of the evidence that we do have around dairy and endometriosis, we actually have some data showing that it is preventative and uh, protective against endometriosis. So there was a 2019 study showing that more dairy consumption during adolescence actually lowered the risk. And they looked at yogurt in that study. Um, and then in a 2021 review found that a high intake of cheese and dairy also lower potentially lowers the endometriosis risk. And this study looked at um, over three servings or roughly, yeah, three servings or more per day. But in the same review, they actually found that in higher intake of butter was linked with a higher risk. And I wonder if that has to do with the saturated fat content in butter, which isn't um, cardioprotective or beneficial for cardiovascular health. Again, Miriam will cover that in a little bit more detail. And we, there was also another study, small study, 2019 in Iran, that also found, again, that higher intakes of dairy might prevent endometriosis. And if we're also looking at fermented dairy, we can even see more of these benefits in some of the research um, around its intake. So you're looking at things like your kefir, um, Miriam, my brain's gone blank. What other types of fermented dairy oh. coming to me? Yogurt. Yeah, just your yogurt, your kefir, um, you know, due to the probiotic content that can exist in some of these forms of dairy, which are really beneficial for overall um, health. But I think it's time to give it over to you, Miriam. I think I've covered oh, the women's. <laughs> You're tired? <laughs> um, that's sort of the sum on dairy and its relationship with very common women's health um, conditions. Gee, man, I think you like the sound of your own voice there, love. (laughs) Anyway, let's go. Now, I was meant to mention this in the beginning, but then I totally forgot. So I'm going to mention this now, which is homogenization and pasteurization. Now, the good thing, I guess, in my life is that I grew up on a farm and we used to go to dairy farms every weekend to get raw milk. Um, and it was awesome to see, to see the cows, to see how the milk. So we used to go really early in the morning. Um, and we used to collect it in this massive gallon and we'd just scoop the cream off the top and like, you know, pour it into our little containers. Well, not so little, but much smaller than the big drum that they would, um, be, uh, filtered into. So what is homogenization and pasteurization? Sounds very scary. I assure you it is not. Homogenization is a process of, so they get high pressure and they kind of put it through this sort of, it looks like a little grater type thing. And they use it to disperse the fat particles so that the milk looks like all one consistency and one color. So when you go to get uh, your raw milk, you'll see that the fat is sitting on the top and the rest is kind of a light color uh, compared to the fat layer on the top. And basically, um, homogenization basically just makes sure that everything is sort of dispersed evenly throughout the milk. So it's just a high pressure process. It's not, there's no heat applied. There's no, you know, cold applied. It's just high pressure. Um, 
pasteurization is when the milk is heated up really, really, really quickly. It's about 15 seconds. Um, I think it's even less than that, but yeah, 15 seconds just to be safe, um, to kill all the pathogens, um, any bacteria that's um, in the milk and to make sure that basically you don't get sick. So even when we used to go to the dairy farms and get our raw milk, we would still take it home and boil it before we used to drink it. Um, because I tell you what, if you've seen, we used to milk, we used to have goats as well. So we used to milk the goats and we used to have cows. We used to milk the cows by hand because two of them, um, their teats are dirty and your hands are dirty. And sometimes they put their foot in the bucket and they kick things and dirt gets in there is what I'm saying. And you can't just drink that. Your risk, uh, you're risking getting sick. Now on that topic, a literature review done in 2014, analyzing 121 infections, uh, infectious outbreaks, found that about 60% of them were due to unpasteurized dairy. So just keep that in mind if you're thinking that raw milk is better and that's what you're going to give to your child. I strongly suggest that you do not do that. If you want to get raw milk, go for it, but boil it first. On to our second topic. So is dairy, and by dairy I'm talking specifically about milk here, good for cardiovascular disease, preventing cardiovascular disease and metabolic syndrome. There is a systematic and meta-analysis in 2021 that showed that 200, about 200 mils of milk, which is about, you know, just under one cup a day was associated with lower risk of cardiovascular disease, stroke, hypertension, colorectal cancer, metabolic syndrome, Obesity, yes, obesity and osteoporosis. So this study looked at about 41 meta-analyses and concluded that it is in fact helpful in these particular, uh, in preventing these particular diseases. This study also further notes that there was beneficial associations found for type 2 diabetes and Alzheimer's disease. Now we go to a 2017 a systematic review of 52 clinical trials investigating inflammatory markers in relation to the consumption of dairy products. Basically, is milk uh, inflammatory or anti-inflammatory? So here they're in, the results conclude that dairy products, in particular fermented products, have anti-inflammatory properties in humans, not suffering, of course, from an allergy to milk, in particular in subjects with metabolic disorders. So what does all this mean? It means unless you have an allergy, lactose intolerance or an allergy to certain proteins in the milk, then milk consumption is fine for you. Not only is it fine for you, it is protective. And I think it's increasingly important for growing children because um, if you want to supplement, as Iman was saying, um, calcium from other sources, um, I think bok choy is one of the highest ones, but it's just going to be a lot harder to get the same amount you could get from one cup of milk. I hope you guys found this podcast useful. And as always, you can find us on Instagram at the STS podcast. And to finish this awesome episode, I'm going to close it with a joke. What do you get when a cow jumps on a trampoline? A milkshake. (laughs) Enjoy the rest of your week, guys.